Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents The Big Five at Five, number five. Did you still want to reminisce about UNLV days of past? We could do. You the were looking for Wittenberg and Lorenzo yeah, Charles I got all and the Pit, and UNLV had lost a couple of rounds before that to NC State, seventy-one seventy. That was gut wrenching. It's always gut wrenching. But but in the midst of doing some research here, what I noticed is a little interesting because we both thought that Houston had won one, but they were the runner up twice in eighty three and eighty four. Thank you, Demond, for the research. But I'm sitting Guy here, Lewis sucks. I'm sitting here looking just at, like Mark Few. How do you not win with Fly Slamma Jamma? Because games are close, crazy things happen. It's not easy to win national titles. Well, I got news for you. This may be a Back to the Future moment for you, Biff. Houston's Wikipedia page, it updates on the right, NC2A tournament. Runner-up, Final Four, Elite Eight, Switch 16. Each year that they've made each thing. It's already got Houston in the Final Four. Nice. They must know something we don't know. Get down on them now. The Jinx risking it. What are you going to do? Well, Willie's been taking over the show all day today, trying to tease ahead to what we're doing. All right. COVID's not done, but we're taking our mask off. I will say it's been a little weird the last three weeks walking in places. And you're like, whoa, 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 like patting yourself. Like, where's my mask? Right? Press conferences. Are things changing that you can see in terms of questions about tipping and touchless payment and all that stuff? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I saw this story in, in, the, in the headlines. Enough touchscreen tipping already. I'm over it. Two years into COVID-19 pandemic, do I have to tip for coffee, ice cream, and takeout? Am I being cheap? What cheap-ass scumbag said this, wrote this? Quentin Fattrell from Market Watch. All right, Quentin. Quentin mark that down. Mark that. You mark that down. People are still working. Still nice to give them a little bit of a spiff. Actually, let, let me let me go back. So Quentin Fertrell, he's the he's the writer of this. It's a letter to Quentin. I recently bought an ice cream at a nearby parlor. It's a big name joint, and I won't name it. But suffice to say, you can pay up to eight dollars for a carryout cone or cup. The line that's is out it? the door. By, by the way, that that's that's all you're paying for a a, a cup. Yeah, that's it. Or a carryout cone. I was at a place last week where the SO decided to get something called a like ice cream burrito with tip. It was eighteen dollars. Needless to say, because I'm cheap, I was like, I won't have anything. I was well, like, wow, I, ice cream has become big business. But here's the thing: before you set up all of this, because yeah. the person's putting in the first line yeah. about how much it costs, right? The employee doesn't set the price. They shouldn't have to pay some sort of price though, as revenge because things are more expensive. But keep going. Deliver well, the story from. The writer from someone writing in who's a genius. Yes, well, the, the thing is, is if it's a big-name place, and like you're saying, these 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 places that go that extra yard already, they're doing something, you know what I mean? I mean, I watched a girl make this burrito. It was a giant pain in the ass. Okay, so, so she probably deserved a, you right. know, a little bit. So here he said, so there's, there's uh, feeling shortchanged in nickel-dimed is, is how he signs it. At lunchtime, I like to buy fish sandwiches with chips and iced tea. My local sandwich shop. I'm a baby boomer, and my doctor says I should avoid red meat, but that's a story for another day. If you order online, they usually have the lunch ready when you get there. The online order service requests a tip. 
Am I a bad person? Am I supposed to now tip before I pick up my own food? I already tipped the delivery workers. Enough touchscreen tipping. I'm over it. When is enough enough? I so, don't know. I'm, I'm confused on what this person, they tipped the delivery worker or they're picking it up themselves. You said, right? Didn't, is that what, what he just said? Yeah. Okay. Sounds like the person that they, since they already tipped delivery drivers, why do I need the tip when I go pick up well, my food? Because someone, right. because someone made the food. Exactly. And got it ready. You don't have to. I mean, people don't have to do anything. And, and I think there is. A, I think there is a debate. Um, you know, 15, 18, 20, 25 percent tip is really based on service, which means a person comes back to you multiple times or filling your drinks. Um, I think that's a little bit different. Now, do I tip about the same when I pick up and someone just made the food? Yes, I do. But you don't have to do that. But yeah, the the crux of the story, you know, the person says tipping fatigue is real and it's getting worse. Well, and here's here's one example. So there's a place that I frequent. Um, post-workout, okay? And they've now gone from where you go to the to the register and they have the jar or whatever and you just throw the... You can throw a buck in or whatever. Everything's paid now. The register isn't even registered. It's, it's like an iPad with on a swivel. And they just flip the screen towards you and you punch in your email address for your reward, so on and so forth. Well, before you, you, you put your card in and before you sign your card, they flip it back over to finish the transaction, and it says 20%, 18%, 15%, no tip. I don't like that because now you feel almost feel compelled because don't you feel like a cheapskate if you hit no tip when really you just walk down the assembly line and said, I'll have, yeah, throw some rice in there, throw some chicken, throw some pico, throw the pa 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 pa, and they, they, and they put it all together. I would rather just go ahead and take my dollar out and put it in, in your thing. But now you're subjected to the percentages and this and that. I don't like that. Now, the other day I ordered some food because I didn't feel like cooking. I had nothing prepped. And I did order from a local establishment, a restaurant right around the corner. And on there, there's now added for delivery charge, but now there's a fuel surcharge. And then you could add a tip on top of it. Would you like to add a tip? I added a tip. But I, but you got to watch the surcharges now. They're they're everywhere. Fuel surcharge now. I'm I've seen credit card surcharge. I was getting a lot of that in uh, New Orleans when I was on the, on you know on a vacation. I'm like, my God, we're just getting hit from every direction here. Demand's a big tipper. Oh yeah, you have to. I got also, my, it's public shame for me. I, I I I I tip especially at the at the at the gym at four in the morning. The guy who knows me there. When he makes and he he just makes the iced coffee, but he does a couple other things that, he, that he's probably not supposed to do for me. Huh, so really? I get to, and so I, I take care of him. Number four, Knights win last night. I mean, it looked like they had another it's a horrendous injury happen. <sighs> Update on that? Yeah, according to go to your go to your reporter go notes. To my Let's notes. Do it. Get it accurate. Peter he DeBoer, actually does have the old school reporter notebook, the handwritten. Yeah. You get a tip for this. Uh, we, have, we have to. <laughs> now we got to tip each other for good comments, good background work. All right. Here we go. For doing my job. Let's go, DeMond. Take out a dollar. <laughs> so, uh, Brett Howden took a vicious but inadvertent hit from Philip Forsberg, and he went headfirst into the boards and was removed on a stretcher and immediately taken to a local hospital. He did raise his arm as he was being stretchered off. He uh, had movement, um, and today Peter DeBoer updated us at uh, the optional practice that Howden 
was at the facility. Nothing was broken. Surprising this this kid didn't break his neck. Uh, but he will be out for a while. But the good news was is that he had movement with those extremities and he was he uh, Chandler Stevenson came in afterwards and someone asked him and you can see he was being very careful in how he answered it without revealing anything, but he did say that Howden feels like he just got in a car accident. That's how sore the body was. Right. So, um, and I and I have to say about Nashville's coach, because a lot because obviously the, the, the fans are gonna get on him and Keegan Colasar is the enforcer, and he could have easily, you know, went after. But and it got chippy. But I don't think it was about that. It was just getting chippy because Nashville was getting pounded. Um, Forsberg was getting booed. Understandably, the crowd was getting upset. But I don't think that he was. I don't think that he meant to shove the guy in a vulnerable position and took liberty on him and shoved his neck into I just can't see that. And Forsberg and Hines, they, before the, their press conference started and they fielded re, um, questions from reporters at T-Mobile, they each had a statement. They each came out. And Forsberg made the first one, and then Hines followed up and made a statement. So it was it was classy move by them. I don't think it was vindictive, and hopefully Brett Howden will be good. Number three. You're not watching... Uh... You're not watching Winning Time yet on HBO? I was not. Now you and Adam got me all in. Well, episode three is about the Lakers making a run at Tark yeah. to coach in L.A. in 1979. And I remember the storyline. You texted me about that. Like, I remember that being a thing back then. But um, now with everything else that you're talking about, I, I mean, I'm going to have to binge the three hours. I'm no. not going to ruin it for you. I don't want to ruin it for the audience, but you, they, they should watch it. Yeah. One of the things that come out of it that comes out of it is a murder mystery that still has not been solved. Right. Tark's advisor, Vic Weiss, right after multiple meetings with Jack Ken Cook and Buss. They don't show Cook meeting with Tark, but mm-hmm. it was kind of a co-ownership deal back then. Weiss was offed. He disappeared right after their final meeting, Lakers meeting, with Tark. They never solved what happened. He was found in his car, wrapped up in a blanket, two gunshots to the head. It's a wild storyline. And the very first thing as I was reading this, what you sent me, mm-hmm. was because the story is about the Lakers. Right. But it happened while he was coach at UNLV, not Long Beach. No, he was at UNLV. Right. It's 1979. And they're and they're looking for a coach. because, And the timeline's all screwed up. But right. according to the story, you know, Jerry West is out. He doesn't want to coach anymore. And now it's getting close to the season. I mean, I think, they're, they're again, the timeline's a little screwed up. Um but what it's going to eventually lead to is who's the next coach, and then I'm sure Magic getting into situations with that coach, and then the weird situation where you know Riley and West are like co-coaches, and then Riley eventually takes over, and how the Showtime Lakers under Riley take off. I have to watch this, but, the but one we're not thing, there yet. The, the one thing that we're not I, there yet. The one thing that I thought of, though, considering what I'm reading this story to be. You know, we have to take in consideration that sports betting was not widespread yet, like yeah. it is now. Obviously, right? I mean, you know, you couldn't even bet on UNLV Reno in Nevada until they cleared that. Correct. At some point, is maybe what took place had nothing to do with the Lakers, but it had to do with no. You're going to stay here with UNLV because we need. I, I've seen a lot of people speculate on that, but yeah. reading a 1989 story in the LA Times. Uh, this Vic Weiss was connected heavily to the mob in multiple places, including Las Vegas, and was, I don't know if he was a degenerate gambler, but he owed a lot of money. 
He right. lived a highfalutin life. I don't know about the gambling, that part of it. You know, right. game fixing or, hey, we need help with UNLV or any. I mean, that you start putting two and two together, that could be the case. By the way, there is someone listening right now who either knows oh, yeah. who off this guy yeah. or knows someone who knows who off this guy. But it still has not been solved in now what, you know, do the math, 43 years? Or at least knows the storyline behind it. I know, who and I'm I don't thinking. think I don't think winning time is going to. I know who I'm texting. I, I don't think winning. I know. I know who you're going to text. <laughs> I don't think winning time is going to reveal because no one knows. It still hasn't been solved. And um, I'll link out the 1989 LA Times story right. on this guy Vic Weiss, who was the advisor to Tark and was trying to make this big deal, where Tark might be getting like ten times his current salary in '79 to go to the Lakers. But after Weiss was offed, that was the end of it. That was the end of the Lakers and and the Tris Tark. and the Tris uh, with Tark. Number two. Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Willie's here. Demond's helping out on this Friday. We're on early as we're getting ready for the Sweet 16. We got the 15 seed tipping off at 4.09. That's uh, St. Peter's against Purdue. All right, here we go. Don't avoid the next topic. No, here we This is, I mean, uh, not to make light of a guy being killed because of gambling issues. I hope this isn't what it's going to come to on the show, but... Uh, <laughs> My lord, we have a lot of gambling beefs on the show, and you know the funny thing is, we we make the bets on air. Somehow they disappear into the uh, vast archives of Lotus Broadcasting, which I think we save about four days worth. Uh, no one pulls it. We got to start doing this, and I actually do have a list now where I'm I'm going to chronicle the bets. But you and I were talking about Duke months ago, and you were uh, you puffing your chest out about Duke this, Duke that, Final Four. And I was like, all right, I'll bet right now. They're not making the Final Four. Then what I think happened was I, I said to you, I would have taken they're not making the Elite Eight, but I think we made the bet for the Final that's Four. Exactly what the, that's exactly it. You okay. got it. Now so they I, made, now, the, now so they made the Elite yep, Eight. Yep. So what's the okay. bet now? No, Just no, no, because no. I said I would have made no, it? No, 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 or no, no, what no, is the bet? No, the bet is you're, you're, you just You're saying it. I lost the bet already. <laughs> Because when you reminded me last week, yeah. it dawned. I was like, "Did I say the final four? I couldn't. Yes, I honestly did. couldn't remember." But when you just said what you said, yeah. you said I would have went for the elite eight. I would have given you, you went, the elite eight. You would have given me. That's when. That's what I remembered. But we did for sure. The bet was that I said Duke will be in the final four. So basically, Saturday we have a dinner bet. You have Arkansas. I have Duke. Yes, originally I wouldn't have made that specific that's bet. Just yes. too bad. But that's the way it worked out. Right. Advantage, Willie. But I'm glad that you remember the conversation because now that triggered my memory, and you're exactly right. When we went off the air, you said, yeah. I, I would have given you the Elite Eight, but it's Final so Four. So Duke makes the Final Four, you win. They don't, I win. Um, but I'm here's not, the, here's I'm the not best the, part about this, yes. Steve. No yes. matter what, considering the restaurant, we both win. Yes. Well, we'll break some bread, oh. and I'll get a lot of salad. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to gorge no matter what. Uh, so I'm in an interesting situation here. I don't necessarily want to root for Musselman. Um, I'm very much set up the way I want to be, though, because I want to root against Coach K. But it is going to be kind of cool if K loses and Mus makes the Final Four just a couple of years removed from his gig at Reno. <laughs> that... Listen, UNLV basketball has had a lot of punches to the uh, D over the years, fans, right? Frustrating things like Otts potentially going, the Iowa State coach, going to the Sweet 16 his first year there. 
you know, months removed from leaving here. Reno, Cronin watch plays it. tonight. Re- well, that I, I feel like that one. We've we've like he wasn't the actual coach. Now that one that one stinks still, but <laughs> must go into the Final Four because Reno couldn't afford him is rich, real rich. I'm gonna enjoy that. And then after that, I'll recalibrate and go, you know what, I really don't. I don't know if I like Muss very much. Because I think Arkansas is going to be a giant pain in the ass moving forward with all their resources. Number one. So, Gonzaga doesn't make it as a one seed. So I saw criticism last night. Mark Few can't coach. He's 0 for 22 now in terms of winning the title. He's been a one seed five times. He's 0 for 5 winning a title. Despite it being, you know, a one seed five times. His team is made up of a bunch of mama's boys and softies. Which, let's get through the coded language here a little bit in reverse. It's because two of the dudes are big whites. And people think that, you know, Holmgren at 140 pounds and 7 foot is soft. And frankly, Drew Timmy kind of brought this on himself. Drew Timmy's one of those guys, a lot like Hunter Dickinson, when they play against smaller players, they love to flex and point to their muscles and, you know, do little hand signs. And then when they go against bigger teams and they get elbowed in the mouth a few times, you know, they're not as effective. Uh, but I do want to address the rest of the ro- the roster. Is Julian Strother a softy? Do they need to recruit harder guys? Is that the problem at... Gonzaga? Because I saw a lot of that nationally on Twitter. No, I think that Mark Few needs to entrust what works through the first part of the season, what he experiments with during non-conference play, like when we saw Gonzaga Duke, and I'm not just using Julian because I know Julian, but this is my best example, is when you are Duke has control of the game and you come out in the second half and you don't turn to Timmy or Holmgren and you let Julian carry the flow because he has the hot hand and for the first seven eight minutes of the second half he took over the game for both he was the best player on the floor now i'm not saying he was the best player in the game or he's a he's the best on the both rosters but for about six seven minutes of that game in the second half julian took over few has a roster that can do that but he routinely plays six seven guys and that's it but then when it comes to crunch time he lets his big guns run the show and they start to play hero ball and that is where it doesn't work. Baylor had depth last year. Arkansas had depth yesterday. This team cannot play hero ball all the time and play the same scheme because Mark Few's hand has been exposed. So everybody knows how to defend that team. It doesn't mean that, well, let's just get to de- de- uh, defend and play physical because they're weak or they're soft and they can't handle it. These are guys that played on the AAU circuit, played down in the peach they're being camp. Re- they're being recruited by the same exact schools that are beating them. Exactly. And this this misnomer that Gonzaga is like some scrappy bunch is complete nonsense. They're defeating you know, the scheme. Uh, uh, and I, th- I also think they're going against a guy, like you said, who coaches a little bit scared and shortens his bench way too much. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 
Rolling on, getting ready for the Sweet 16 coming up a little after 4 o'clock. We were talking about Gonzaga out again. Didn't win a national title again. We're not sitting here killing them, though. But, you know, Mark Few and Gonzaga should be judged like North Carolina, like Duke, like UCLA, like Kansas, like other Blue Bloods because they recruit on the Blue Blood level. But the discussion last night on at least one thread was how, you know, soft Gonzaga is. By the way, I was, you know, getting on Drew Timmy. He scored 25, right? Um they didn't use much of the bench. They looked a little bit tired. They played hero ball. Uh, Nemhart was 2 of 11. But that whole discussion about being weak and they got to recruit a different type of player, the guys on Gonzaga were all recruited by Bloods. Yeah. Every guy. Like, I think people look at Drew Timmy and they're like, oh, he's, you know, some big white dork, you know, just, you know, makes the most of his limited skills. He was a four star recruit out of Texas. Every school in Texas wanted him. He's a top 25 player. Uh, you know, between Nemhart, who transferred in, and Strother, and Hunter Salas, and these, they're all big, big-time recruits. And like you were just saying, you know, you you know the Strothers real well. Like, it's not some like country club kid coming in, like who's weak or soft. No, it's not the case. No, and and he he went through his trials and tribulations in in terms of there's, there's no there's no silver spoon in Julian's mouth. Uh, I mean, I remember one day going to like a Finley prep showcase and everybody was against the wall, you know, like college coaches watching and Calipari was front and center. Well, him and his, him and his crew, it was, it was during recruiting season. Cause that's why they were at family prep, but they were meeting with, with Lee later that day. I mean, or that trip, I know that Kentucky was, so these guys are, I mean, these are, again, these are top level recruits that are at the top of the, I think the peach jam is still the top off season, the AAU, um, big tournament that you got to qualify to get to. All these guys played in that. And don't, and don't ever, don't another. ever judge a book by the cover. Don't ever assume that someone who comes from money doesn't come from money has more drive or less drive than others. I was just telling you guys the story of Jordan Caroline with Reno was one of the scariest players in college basketball because one, he was this relentless competitor who was you know six five and two hundred and forty pounds and would jump through your face, you know, through your body and you know deliver pain. He's the he's the one basically who spearheaded the uh, near brawl at Utah State when Reno and Utah State were gonna fight back in the hallway, and then you know, one of the players punches the glass on the fire extinguisher. That was Jordan Caroline. Jordan Caroline's the son of Simeon Rice. I mean, his dad's a millionaire, you know? I don't, I don't I don't know that he spent his entire childhood with Simeon Rice, but you get my point. Like, you, you don't know. And when when blanket statements are about, made about rosters and being soft or, you know, because you know what's going to happen tonight? Because I believe me, I heard this all growing up in the New Jersey, New York area, right? Shaheen Holloway and St. Peter's. Like, oh, they're a bunch of city kids. They're, you know, they're, they're just, they're so tough. Like, okay, there's, there's tough kids everywhere. There's kids with drive everywhere. Let's get Joe Esposito in here in two minutes. The coach, our college basketball insider, will talk about uh, what ailed Gonzaga last night and how they finally break through in winning a national championship at some point. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Talking a lot of college hoops today as we head off to the Sweet 16 in about 30 minutes. Gonzaga's out. Arizona's out. Baylor's out. All different number one seeds. But Gonzaga is in the crosshairs because they play in a mid-major conference. They haven't won a national title yet. You have fans of big conferences who always are cynical about Gonzaga. And last night, was just they just brutalized 
Mark Few. Joe Esposito, longtime coach in college basketball, stops here at UNLV and Texas Tech and Memphis and Minnesota and lots of other places. Coach, what's up, buddy? How much, man? Great games last night. It was so exciting, and I'm looking forward to tonight. How much criticism does Mark Few deserve? Well, you know, he's done an unbelievable job there. You know, when you think about, you know, every year he's been there, he's been in the NCAA tournament, won 15 and 17 WCC titles, you know, never make it to a Final Four. And the people are getting tired. You know, they're getting tired. It's, it's something where when you look at their schedule, you know, they try to play some good teams early, but, you know, they lose at Arkansas early. Um, they beat Texas, who, you know, was a team early that wasn't very good. They beat UCLA early. Uh, UCLA is another team that got better as the season went on. They lose to Duke. They lose to Alabama. They beat Texas Tech, who was injured at the time. And then it, after that game, the Texas Tech game, they don't play anybody. And they don't play anybody in conference that's going to give them. Yeah, San Francisco was better and St. Mary's was better. But that's not the kind of grind these other schools are going through. And last night's game was just kind of an indication of, you know, what's out there for Gonzaga. You know, they, they just – it's unfortunate in a lot of ways. I think people hype them up so much, and they're ranked number one all year. And, and that's another thing I don't like about the rankings. And we've talked about this before. Is because what happens is, is you know, they don't ever have a chance of losing a game because they're beating everybody. So if they get to the number one spot, they're never going to lose that spot. And last night was just a, a tough game. You know, they, they the big kid Holmgren got in foul trouble like he's had a bunch of games, and they're counting on Timmy to do everything. And, they got nothing else for anybody else, really. When you look at the rest of the team, what they produced, and the biggest thing for me in that in that game was Arkansas. They played unbelievable defense, but man, they only turned that ball over eight times, and Note turned it over five of those times. Hmm. So it was it was an incredible game. I really enjoyed the game, and I, I was pretty impressed how Musselman did did a job with his with his team and his defense. And took away what he had to take away, and. I got to tell you, man, that guy really can coach and motivate, and it's he's been fun to watch. And I'm so glad he didn't take his damn shirt off after the game. <laughs> uh, we should correct one thing you said. You were saying they never made a Final Four, Gonzaga. Obviously, they made a couple. They've been a national title game runner-up, so they've been right there. My biggest criticism for a few would be either not trusting his bench, which is still full of four stars, or maybe build a bench that you do trust and and you have kind of grinders off the bench. It just seems like he doesn't go deep enough, and at times they tire. And last night, I mean, the the hero ball down the stretch was just weak. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, you're right about the Final Four. I meant to say he never won a national championship. But when you look look at Gonzaga and off the bench, you know, Watson gets 17 minutes and Hickman gets 13, and those guys score one one point and two points, they're not getting much off their bench. And when you look at it, though, you know, a lot of benches are shrinking at this time. Musselman played six kids last night. You know, Duke played seven kids last night. I mean, a lot of teams are shrinking their benches, and it's just that nervousness, that part of the game where you feel like, I don't know if I can put this kid in. They kind of make me nervous. I mean, Houston plays eight. I think that's, you know, Arizona played eight last night. I mean, so some teams are playing, but I don't know anybody playing more than eight. I mean, it seems like that's kind of the trend. It's always been the trend that everything kind of shrinks a little bit. I mean, when you look at Villanova, Villanova played six kids. They played one kid one minute and another kid three minutes. And then when you look at you know, Gillespie and Moore and same, 39 minutes. So I think the benches shrink. I think everybody is really fighting for who's in the best shape. And that's what it comes down to a lot of these games. 
Coach, to that point, the benches are shrinking, yes, but um, the hero ball comes into play where they know who's going to take the tough shots. You don't see them feed. Throughout the game, you're going to see the wealth being spread. Everyone's going to get their shots, maybe you know eight to ten shots. But when it comes down to those key moments against uh, Gonzaga, you know it's going to be Timmy. You know that it's going to be Holmgren. So they can either suffocate them and force the ball in, and then those guys are still forcing things up. I think that teams, when it gets to this point in the season, have figured out Mark Few's schematics, and it's making that team easy, that system easy to defend. Get physical, get in their face, get in their grill, because he's only going to count on one or two players. And I, and I think you see that on a lot of teams, not just them now. i got to tell you, if I'm coaching uh, Gonzaga, I want Timmy to touch that ball. You know, I want him, he gets to the free throw line, you know, eight times last night, the most on the team. So, you know, he, he could create something. He can have something happen. Same thing with Holgram, who unfortunately fouled out, and he's been in foul trouble this whole tournament. I thought that last foul was ridiculous. And we don't need to talk too much about refereeing, but I'll tell you, some of the calls, the technical last week, I mean, just some things that just drive you nuts. But here's the thing. When, when you get a team and you really did a good job of coaching your team throughout the year, you're going to know who needs to touch the ball. And that's what happened in the Duke-Texas Tech game. I mean, they went to Palo and they went to uh, Moore and, and Roach. I mean, Roach was making some big shots late in that game. And your team is unselfish. If you look at all these teams that are, that are still alive, they're teams that are unselfish. They're teams that are well-coached. They're teams that spread the ball. It's not about one guy. And if Gonzaga just doesn't have those other guys out there that can really make a difference and you pressure them guards and they try to throw it inside, they didn't double-team in a pulse yesterday. I think that was the biggest move that Musselman made. He didn't double in there, and that made a difference because you know, their guards couldn't get any shots off. But when you look at the passing that's going on, when you watch Houston play and you watch Villanova play and you see the actual teams that are unselfish and they're doing what they're supposed to do and they're taking care of the ball and the right guys are taking the right shots, you can go a long way. I mean, you know, just Villanova shot 33s last night. They make 30%. And, and even Michigan, I mean, they shot, you know, 18 threes, made 33%. It's just exciting to watch the ball get moved around, the game played at a high level, and people knowing where the ball's going to go. And hopefully those guys are making those plays at the end. Coach, are you at, when you get to this point in the also in the tournament, um, some of the teams that are being that are playing the higher seeds – They've got. They've taken a tougher road, so they've been a little bit more battle tested. Is Gonzaga maybe getting a disservice in always getting a number one seed? That, uh, to your point of going through nobody after a non-conference, maybe they shouldn't be seeded number one. Maybe they shouldn't be playing the 16 seed. Maybe if they start off at a four or a five or a six, and they have a little bit of a tougher road, they're a little more battle tested. Come the Sweet 16, come the Elite Eight. I, I totally agree with that. I think that the momentum there of a team that's a four seed or a team that's, you know, in, in a different seed, I think you get a little more momentum. And your team doesn't feel like, hey, you know, we got to win this game uh, just because, you know, we were to move on. And, you, you know, that target on your back is a big deal. That's the problem with the rankings. You know, Gonzaga gets number one so early, and then they, they never get knocked off. I mean, do you really think Gonzaga should have been ranked over some of these other teams? Um, but teams play tournament. I mean, it's just part of it. I, I do think that the, the toughness of the schedule, I mean, you look at a team like Purdue, 
I mean, the grind that they have to go through, and, and Kansas, um, even Providence. I mean, Providence has got to play, you know, the Creighton's of the world and the Villanova's of the world. And, and those guys just play rougher and tougher. I think North Carolina's a team that's also showing you that. They're an eight seed, but they're a really good eight seed. I mean, they ruined Coach K's party at the uh, Cameron Arena there. Uh, their last game played really well, and they went through the grind. And let's not forget about our boy, Oz, you know, you know, the old UNLV coach. Iowa State went through a grind. I mean, they're 22-12. and 12. They went through that grind, got beat up during the year. They played really well early. They went through the fight. The league made them better, and now they're playing for the lead eight spot. So I agree. I think the competition definitely helps you. If you can get through with no injuries, it's going to it's going to show in the NCAA tournament. What did you see in uh, Kelvin Sampson's team shutting down Arizona? I thought Arizona was going to win the national title. You know, I did too. I thought they had a lot of really good pieces, and I thought Arizona uh, was going to play better that night. But Kelvin Sampson, I'll tell you, you know, think, think of his team that was in the Final Four. He lost four of those guys. He lost two great players uh, this year to injury. His defense is elite. I mean, his defense is incredible. You know, you cannot, for whatever reason, you cannot run offense against those guys. I mean, Arizona really struggled shooting 33% from the field. I mean, just think about that. Um, you know, they turned the ball over 14 times, and Arizona's not that kind of team. You know, they dictate the tempo uh, defensively, Houston does. And listen to this. They've only allowed two teams this year to score 70, and they only allowed nine teams to score 60. And all their opponents, which they lead the country in, are shooting under 36%. So their defense is elite. They overcame those injuries. Two really good transfers he added. You know, the kid, uh, Kyler Edwards, left Texas Tech, and now he's their leading scorer at Houston, great player. Josh Calton, you know, he's a really good player. He had 10 points last night, played steady for him. He came from UConn. And I just think that Kelvin has an incredible culture and incredible chemistry, and he's all about winning. I mean, he's all about winning and toughness, and, wow, they are really, really good. And Houston, they played Villanova. That's going to be another fight to the end, and, there's some really good games that are, that, are, that are getting ready to be played here now. Is Purdue going to destroy St. Peter's? I think so. I think St. Peter's clock's over. I think the Peacock's losing his feathers tonight, and I think that's over. Now, they've gained a lot of money for that school. When you think about all the excitement, all the media, there's kids in New Jersey that are about five miles from campus, never even heard of St. Peter's. Those kids will be applying to that school. I think that's going to be a, a good game. But I just think Purdue's just too tough. I, I think Purdue's been through the ringer. They've played against good teams. Um, I don't know if the focus is tonight is going to be so much on defending the interior. Um, I don't really know what, what St. Peter's is you know, going to be thinking about guarding those big guys in there. But you know Purdue is a tough team. You know They haven't played a soft schedule like some of these other teams. And they've been in the grind, and they've won some really good games throughout the year. I like Purdue. I like the kid in the perimeter, Wesley. I mean, I really think they're going to be good. And I, I think I know the, the spread's like thirteen or something. Thirteen, yeah. And it's a lot of that's a lot of points to beat a team in an NCAA tournament game. But that very well could happen tonight. Are you an elite team overall if your Ken Palm defense is eighty-eight? Because that's Purdue. Well, I, I, no. I mean, if, if you're an elite team defensively, I think you're uh, you know you're ranked a little bit higher. But yeah. I, I think Purdue just does a good job of just pounding you. I mean, I think they're physical. I mean, I can remember when I was playing against them, we were at Minnesota, and we always said, you know, the referee seemed to let them get away with so many fouls. I mean, they just bang it and bang it and bang it. And when you think about it, just think about this. 
Do you think the referee's going to call every single foul when you're banging a guy? Nope. If they did that, the game would take seven hours. <laughs> and you never notice at the end of the game the fouls are almost the same, and they always even out. You don't think those referees go in the locker room and say, hey, man, the foul situation, we got to get it almost even. And when you look at personal fouls, look at the Gonzaga game. It was 2017. It was pretty close. You know, when you look at some of these games from, from the tournament and, and the way they've been going, the fouls count is usually pretty good, and it's pretty close. Um, the Texas Tech-Duke, it was 14 fouls Texas Tech, 12 fouls Duke. They're not going to call all those fouls when Purdue's playing. And we, we moan and groan all the time playing them because when they're banging you, it makes you tired, and I think you're going to see them bang the living daylights out of those peacocks. Is the final number one seed going down today, Kansas against Providence? No. No, I no. think Kansas is a team to beat. I, I'm saying no. I, I'm feeling good about Kansas. I think they're playing well. I, I, I love Providence. I love, I love you know, Cooley. I, I love him. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be watching the game with one of my old assistants who, who uh, works at Providence. I mean, I just feel like Providence uh, has had a great year. But something about Kansas. I mean, Kansas, when they're playing well and they're doing the things they're supposed to do, they're hard to play against. You know, they won the Big 12 again. They've had a great year. They won 30 games. They didn't lose many games this year. And, you know, they get scoring from a lot of areas. They do some really good things. One of the best things they do is score. I mean, they're 24th best team scoring in the country. They pass the ball. And uh, I'm sure Bill Self has a lot of time to prepare for this game. And, you know, Providence likes to run that flex offense. I think they're going to be fine. But you got to remember now, they're, they're really – Kansas is really moving in the right direction at the end here. They've won – a bunch of games at the end, beating TCU, who's good, beating Texas, West Virginia, TCU again, Texas Tech. I think Kansas is a team that could still win this whole thing. Now listen, Coach, listen. I can appreciate what you're saying, but I'm going to need some support from you, especially tomorrow, because uh, Paijan, my boy over here, Steve, we got a bet going for an Italian restaurant dinner, and I need Duke because I got Duke. I told them that he, they were going to go to the Final Four for a dinner at an old-school Italian place that I know you've probably been when you was over here. So I'm going to need you to pull for Duke for me. You know what I'm saying? Now, now, now first of all, I want to know that place. Let me tell you this, though. Be careful with your bets with Steve, because he still owes <laughs> me two pizzas. I know this is and he, he, yeah. he still has, he has You moved out of the state! This is, this, this, is, this, is, this is an old-school deli, one of the oldest ones up on Spring Mountain Road. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I know what you're saying, Faison. Forget about you, you it. Better, hey, forget about it. Let me just tell you this. Duke, <laughs> he's got a shot. And those kids don't want Coach K to lose. And if you watch the first five minutes of that game, it was like 12-2, and then those kids just kicked it in, and they played great. And Texas Tech's not bad. I think Mark Adams will start figuring out that he needs a point guard. And once he gets a point guard, he'll be okay. But I'm going to tell you, they're playing great. They know how to play. They're young. Duke's got a chance. And uh, maybe I'll come to Vegas when you're eating that Italian food and I'll sneak into that table because he still owes me, too. I just, I just need him to get to the Final Four. It's not even to win the whole thing. So, Well, they're going to play Arkansas. That's going to be a tough game. And, hey, when you look at that game against Arkansas, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, nobody believes Arkansas could win, and look what they've done. Jimmy Kimball was dumb enough to say something on TV, and Musselman jumped all over it and gets all this social media clicks and clicks. and That's all he cares about, Musselman is them clicks. And uh, Arkansas is going to defend in the paint. You know, their games are ugly. They're going to keep the game close. They know how to shrink a game. They got veterans. Duke is young. Woo! 
it's going to be a wild night that game. I can't wait to see that one play. If Jaime Jaquez, last one, if Jaime Jaquez is only 60%, UCLA going to win this game against North Carolina? I'm going North Carolina. I like the momentum. I think you know North Carolina is the third best defensive team. They rebounds defensively. They don't give up a lot of second shots. You know, I like the way they shoot the three. They got three kids that can really shoot it. When you look at Manic, you look at Lowe, you look at Davis. I, I'm going for UNC. I like the way they're playing. I like their momentum. I like their coach, and uh, I really believe that it's time and. And that Pacific time, East Coast time, hey, I don't know if that matters. Everybody's talking about the difference in the time zones and teams playing. Players play. I don't care what time it is. They're up all night playing video games anyway. They'll be fine. I mean, I, I hate hearing that, but I like UNC winning that game and then beating Purdue and getting an old-school Final Four with Duke, UNC, Villanova, and Kansas. That's what I'm rooting for. Boy, I got no option on that one. I got no option to root for. Yeah, I'm rooting for Kelvin Sampson, so that's that's my choice. Root for Coach K. I know you're not a Coach K fan. Root for him, will you? This last game. Let him go out as a champ. We read a story. We talked no. about this the other day. That it, it said that there's got always got a Sweet 16 at this point. There has to be a villain. There's always got to be a villain in the tournament. And so for that, we need Duke to stay in this tournament. Is, is you the need way to win the bet is the bottom line. You no, want to no, win no, your no, bet. No, no, no. I'm not saying it. Just do it. I mean... At this point, doesn't doesn't the NC two A tournament stand on its own? Do we really need a villain, or can't we just have a bunch of great storylines? And that sure will be a great storyline. If he storyline, if he goes in there, Adam Hill will probably write a three page article. I mean, think about it. <laughs> Duke wins the national championship with that young team, oh boy. and the excitement that they're going to. Coach K may come back now. He's starting to walk a little slower, but let me tell you the thing I loved about Coach K at the end of the. His wife was on a court, gave him a kiss, shook his hand, carried, walked, it, walked hand in hand into the arena, walked hand in hand out of the arena. My wife would be like, let's just get out of here and go home. Let's go. <laughs> we don't want to be hanging around in this arena. You're retiring. She probably can't wait for them to lose so she can get him home and start retiring and enjoying some travel and going to see places in the country and watching their grandkids and doing all those things. She's probably rooting for them to lose. And he's like, hey, I'm not done yet. I would love to see him win a national championship and tell Schreier, Schreier, whatever his name is, who's taking over. John, look, John, I'm coming back for another year. Oh, boy. All right, Joe, have a good weekend. You guys are the best. Hey, Paisan, make sure he pays that bet. Oh, I'm gonna, all right. I'm going to be in Arizona for the Super Bowl next year, Joe. You're going to get the payoff. My God, with the betting. He moved out of the state. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, so what do you think happens tomorrow with our bet? I think Duke's going to win. I think Duke's going to win. Uh, my a lot final, of pros, a lot of pros. My final four is North Carolina at this point. North <laughs> Carolina, Duke, uh, Villanova, and Kansas. I don't want to pick anyone else for the national title, so I'm going with the Cougars. H-Town. Come on, good job, Willie. Have a good weekend. We'll see you.